One of the things that really helped me was the idea of being a scientist. And so because science is about experimenting, experiments are about failure. And mm -hmm. so I could be like, oh, I'm going to be a scientist. Welcome to the Women Choosing Growth podcast, where we feature inspiring stories of success, challenges of growth, and lessons learned from women entrepreneurs, industry experts, and thought leaders who have been through the growing pains inevitable as an entrepreneur. Whether you are just getting started or are looking to scale up your business, our show is designed to provide you with the tools, resources, and community you need to grow your business. Join your host, Tina Sue, a lifelong entrepreneur and business growth advisor, as we explore topics such as marketing, sales, finance, leadership, and personal growth, all tailored specifically to the needs of women entrepreneurs. So if you're ready to grow your business faster and smarter, then this podcast is for you. Thanks for tuning in and let's get started. Welcome back to another extraordinary episode with an another extraordinary woman, Julie Ellis. I feel many of you will relate to Julie because like many, she was in the corporate world and found herself feeling less than enthusiastic about her career and her future. She dreamed about big goals and soon co-founded Mabel's Labels, a much needed label making company for all of those things that our kids needed their names on um, for schools, daycares, all the things. She built a, with a, a team, she co-founded that business. And with her team, they built the company and sold in 2015 to a very major brand, which you will hear about. But then shortly after that, she went into the slump with the common question many people have after selling a business of what is next. Julie began sharing her success story and the goal-setting mentality that helped her achieve such great success on the stage in a book called Big Gorgeous Goals and just recently launching her podcast. So stay tuned and get all the details of her journey and her expertise so you can set big, gorgeous goals as well. Welcome back to another episode, ladies. We have with us an amazing guest by the name of Julie Ellis today. And Julie, I want to say I am very honored to have you on the show because you have been recommended to me not once, but twice from other amazing and driven women in my network. They have said you have to speak to Julie and have her on your show. So plus, I have also listened to your book, which we're going to talk about here shortly, because it is on Audible, and I listened to it on the um, um, a few uh, walks of mine. Um, so we're going to talk about your book, but also you are a super goal-oriented person, as am I. So I really want you to share your journey. If there's a couple unique pivots in your life that I think everyone can relate to. And also want to hear about the biggest lessons you've learned through not only building a, a multi-million business, but selling it, starting over. Um, you have quite the journey to share there. And then also advice for all of our listeners on how to set and accomplish big, gorgeous goals. So welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you so much for having me, Tina. So I'm excited to hear about your journey, for you to share your journey. I know about your journey from reading your book, but you have gone through so many major things in life that um, I think we can all relate to. So I'm going to have you start there, but then also want um, to know, you know, your biggest lessons learned and ultimately 
how people can set big, gorgeous goals because our listeners know that I'm a very goal-oriented person too. And so the more structure that we can have around setting goals and accomplishing them, which is what your expertise is helping entrepreneurs do, I think is phenomenal and fabulous. And I can't wait to dive in with you. So good. Thank you. So start out with telling us about your journey, because you do have a unique one of what threw you into entrepreneurship and and this major success that you had. Yeah, I think my journey has been very eclectic in terms of the training I've had and the roles I've ended up in. So I um, went to university and actually studied um, in dance and received a Bachelor of Arts in Dance. And when I finished school and sort of said, huh, what am I going to do now? I had the opportunity to join a management training program at a bank that I had worked at, um, sort of putting myself through school. It was my part-time job. And so sort of unsure of what or where it might lead me, I decided to take the offer and went off and did a few weeks of backpacking before I had to start and kind of dug in and built myself a career there. So worked my way up and became a licensed financial planner. And so with that, I had, you know, a book of business, a great group of clients, people that I was, um, you know, doing planning for, helping them with their investments, all of those kinds of things. And as I started having my kids and also felt really ambitious in terms of my career, I wasn't really sure what my next step would be. And then along came some friends that I had met at university who became family um, because I married the brother. And um, <laughs> literally family. <laughs> literally family. And we started talking about starting a business. And so my sister-in-law came and said, what do you think about this? And, you know, the daycare was telling us all, label everything. And when you ask them how to do it, they would say, well, you could use, you know, masking tape and a Sharpie. Mm. And that actually, you know, doesn't last. Um, You put them through the dishwasher or you can't put them through the laundry that way. If you wanted clothing labels, they were iron on and they were a bit fussy And so we kind of had this idea that we could bring a product to market that would fill that gap. And I think it was also appealing to us at that time to sort of take back our own control of our schedules and our lives and to be able to build something for ourselves. Okay. That sounds great as a start. It sounds great (laughs) as a start, but I mean, in truth, you know, you kind of, you're trading horses for some things because you're not, you know, you're not actually have, you don't have more time when you become an entrepreneur. Yes, you can do what you like in terms of how you structure it, but you do not have more time. And so, you know, we quickly dove into the business. I still had my full-time job. We were growing the business and eventually the crossroads came where, you know, some decisions needed to be made because the business really needed us to start working more regularly. Um, and in order for us to work more regularly, we needed the business to pay us. So, you know, we had one of those little circles that we went around and we did eventually start trying to pay ourselves. You know, we started incrementally paying, I think we started mm-hmm. at $500 a month. Literally and, you know, me too. That was my yeah. first paycheck. My first and then business. you're like, okay, <laughs> so let's do that for three months and then let's see if we could put it up to a thousand dollars a month. And, you know, so we mm-hmm. literally started eking out a living from this business because we knew that, you know, it, if it was going to succeed, it needed the time 
but in order for us to give it the time, we needed the money. So that was the sort of circle we ran around for a little while. And the business was taking off. Um, you know, we started growing fairly quickly. We got some big media coverage. Um, you know, about three years after we started the business, we were on The View. And mm-hmm. the host at the time stood beside the labels and said, I could not live without these. And, you know, it was like, ring, 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 like all the orders that came in. And so we, you know, went through the first basement and decided in on all of our wisdom that my sister-in-law should buy a bigger house so we could have a bigger basement for the business to grow in. And I think we only lasted about 18 months in that basement. And we had about 12 people coming to work every day and it was just no longer manageable. And so we had to go and get a commercial space. And it's real business now, right? Real like, business. That's what you're feeling. <laughs> uh, yeah. And um, with real expenses, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. you sign a commercial lease and you're on the hook for that for quite a while. So, yes, you know, it felt like a, a really big step. And I think that's one of the things that is weighty as businesses grow, like, you know, how many people start relying on you for their paycheck, for their family's livelihood and, you know, those kinds of things. It feels like a lot of responsibility and getting a commercial space was one of those things that also felt like a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, You're locked in for like three to five, seven years, depending on your lease, like we're going to have to make this Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so we were lucky because we, we were, we found a great space and then we negotiated a lease where we had options on other space that was in the building. And so we were able to stay in that building and take on more space and increase our square footage for a really long time. Uh, In fact, the business is still there today. Um, And so that was a really great you know, kind of decision for us and a really great direction to go in because the business continued to grow pretty rapidly. And by the time we got up to about 12 years in business, we had created a line of labels that we sold in retail. So we we had them in Target in the US, we had them in Walmart in Canada. We had built a custom back end for running the business. So we were doing, you know, short run custom printing. That's what you, you know, the industry would call uh, printing small orders of labels and sending them out to people. And so we had really automated a lot of things. We had a big IT team, a lot of people writing code, and that was how we ran our business. And one day we got a phone call from Avery Labels asking us if the business was for sale. And it wasn't at that time. It wasn't for sale. But everything's for sale for the right price. (laughs) Everything is. Well, and it felt like it would be, you know, foolish not to have a conversation with them. Right. Yep. And so we did have a conversation also because I think when you get up to that 12, 13 year mark in business, you know, we're in the eight figures of revenue. We had 40 people working for us. Um, Not, you know, I think we all started to slightly want some different things and we had different ideas about what our future might look like. Um, and you know, some people really, really wanted a big business and some people liked the business a little bit better when it was a little smaller and felt more like family. And, you know, some of those things started to come into play for us that Mm -hmm. when it was smaller, we didn't notice the differences as much as when things got bigger. And so we were really examining what our next era in the business was going to look like and how we were going to tackle that. And suddenly, you know, in comes a phone call. And so we 
had quite a number of conversations with them and very quickly, like in the period of about five or six months, we ended up selling the business to them. Which is ridiculously fast in any acquisition. It was breathless. Like, I yeah. don't know, actually, in looking back, you know, the, with a sort of 20-page due diligence spreadsheet of things to answer, collect, upload to a data room, negotiation, um, you know, the, you know, tax people doing their thing, the lawyers doing their thing, like getting yeah. all the right advice to put all the pieces into place. And, you know, we'd done a good job beforehand, but there's still always you know, we were doing some optimizing as we ran down the path very quickly. And it was a lot. They asked for this. We don't have it. Let's create it. <laughs> <laughs> How are we going to get somebody to sign it? You know, like, yeah. because it was also all a confidential process. So mm -hmm. we really, nobody on our team, except for our finance person, even knew it was going on. And Typical. so it was, you know, we did the work and, it, you know, on top of trying to, you know, the, like the duck paddling furiously, trying to look like everything was great. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I started my day every day talking to the lawyer and the accountant and our operational advisor, and then seeing what needed to be done and what, you know, how far away we were from collecting everything. And, and we, we actually closed the deal on December 31st, which is also, you know, thanks for a little bit of a, an interesting holiday season, let's say. And then I immediately, being in the U.S., think of like, ugh, from a tax standpoint, that sucks. <laughs> January 1st would have given you a whole year. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I've been through so many acquisitions on both sides and then with clients, and that is a ridiculously short period of time to have to yeah. do all of that. And just, I mean, just to even like, you weren't looking to sell, and then all of a sudden you have this amazing offer, which I talk about all the time. Same thing happened to me. I'm running around doing my business. Someone knocks on the door. Like you don't have to have a big, gorgeous goal of what happens next. And we're going to talk about that next with you. But to have your business in a position to be able to make that decision quickly mm -hmm. was amazing for all of you. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, so it was a really fantastic opportunity for us as owners to get some of our money off the table. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, when you're growing a business, that's where all of your, uh, money sit, you know, at the time biggest in our asset. lives. Yeah, it was our biggest asset. And the time in our lives we started that business, you know, we went from being, you know, relatively young and to building a bunch of equity within the business over the course of time that we were um, growing it. And so it was a little bit reassuring to take some money off the table uh, for mm -hmm. us at that time and to sort of mitigate our risk because it, you know, feels bigger. As I said before, it feels bigger and riskier as more time goes along and the responsibilities grow. And so, you know, for me, I woke up on January 2nd because that was sort of the first business day. And I had really put so much energy into the transaction into making sure that the transaction happened, that it happened on time, and that I gathered everything that I could and did everything that I could to make sure of that, that I really didn't think about after. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we talk about biggest lessons, uh, um, somebody phrased it to me recently um, as, you have to add before you take away. And I didn't I put my head down and probably avoided thinking about what was going to happen after. That's why I did all that work. 
Um, and so because I was the person that was going to stay at Mabel's Labels forever. I was going to be that founder who went in and took over a boardroom and drank coffee with people and reminisced <laughs> and, you know, was kind How of a glamorous. How, yeah. <laughs> people were there kind of like, oh, she's here again. Um, what does she that do was anyway? Be me, oh, she's right? the founder from right. 40 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Watch while she reads the paper and drinks coffee all day. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, that was going to be me. And instead, Love what it. happened was really quickly, I figured out that... I didn't think there was a place for me in the new era of what was going to happen and what needed to happen. And so I decided that I would leave. And I did probably didn't think about it as much as I should have uh, for how big of a decision it was, um, but it felt like the right one. And, you know, it was the right one as I sit mm -hmm. here today, many years later. Um, but I didn't add before I took away. And so when I took that away, I really, really did destabilize, you know, selling it and then leaving it behind. And, you know, the, the first thing that happens after an acquisition is everybody starts pointing to new objectives, new people who have new expectations. And so the pace shifts, it changes, it does get faster. And, you know, so it was, it was moving away from me in a lot of ways as I then stepped back and started preparing to leave. And I really had a hard time. I think after climbing for pinnacles for so long, sitting on the plateau and not knowing what was next for me, uh, was a very, very difficult place. Um, and imagine not being able to make that decision of what's next was probably because yes. you're, you're a goal setter, obviously. So like now yes. you're in that position, you're like, well, I just have to do what someone else tells mm -hmm. me is our next goal. And that's different than making the yeah. decisions. And I was told to take some time and not, you know, and deliberately not jump into anything, but it sort of turned into that the more time I took, the less sure I felt about doing anything. And, you know, the more the sort of voice inside my head started talking to me about like, what if your best success is in the rearview mirror? What if you never, you know, what if you fail at what you do next? What if you never do anything as good again? And I became kind of frozen by those thoughts. And so it took me quite some time to get moving. And, um, when I you say quite some time, what are we talking? Over a year. That's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Over a year. And then a mutual business acquaintance, a business friend of mine um, introduced me to somebody who had a bricks and mortar retail business as well as online uh, selling baby gear. And uh, he was looking for somebody to come in as his chief operating officer as he swung away from the day to day for a period of time with his family. And, you know, we had a great fit. And so I stepped in and um, ran that business for about a year and a half. And it was a really fantastic experience because there was a pretty good team in place. And um, it was really great to work with, you know, new people and learn about something that was a little bit different than what I had done. But a lot of what I had done applied. And it was a great experience. But what I learned then is, you know... I didn't want to work for somebody else. Ultimately, yeah. that was my lesson from that job. Um, and that's where I was like, you know, that's where it started to be like, okay, there's a theme. I don't want to work for somebody else. Here it is again. I need to figure out starting something for myself. 
And so from there, I really, I became a certified coach. So um, coaching lots of entrepreneurs as well as on the corporate side. And I started really thinking about what is it that, why do some people set these crazy big goals and do these amazing things? And others are sort of left in the dust of their to-do lists. Like how does, how does the world sort people in that fashion? And what is it that, you know, and I knew from having been someone who did big things that none of them are done alone, right? So no matter how it looks on social media or in the press release or on the media, you didn't do it without like a really a lot of people supporting and without a lot of work. And, you know, it's not an overnight success if it doesn't take five or 10 years. Um, and so I started talking to people about their experiences and it turned into a workshop about setting big goals. And so I like to say I kind of backed into the book because after I had a workshop, I ended up going to do some public speaking training because someone told me I should make a keynote and so uh, <laughs> and and get on bigger stages and tell my story. And so I was sure. like, okay, well, I better go learn how to do that. And then I realized I had more to say and I met somebody through the speaking process who, you know, has a writing group and, you know, and that's when I really cemented this idea that there's probably a book and I could talk to lots of other people and gather their stories about why they've done what they did and how. And it all kind of came to life. Um, and it was like very unexpected because, you know, my background in the last number of years in running Mabel's Labels was I was running finance, I was running IT, and I was running our retail business as well as sort of like planning our strategy sessions and bringing, you know, putting agendas together for that kind of those pieces. And so for me to be like, I think I'm going to write and write a book <laughs> was, was, you know, not really a natural step necessarily for me. Are you an accomplished woman business owner with a story to tell? Do you crave a platform where you can share your journey, the good, the bad, and the ugly? Hey, everyone, it's Tina here. If you're fans of the show, then you know we are a show that celebrates the strengths and resilience of women entrepreneurs just like you. As we're getting this podcasting community going, I thought it would be fitting to an extended invitation to apply to join me as a guest on our Top 100 podcast platform. I started Women Choosing Growth because I believe that real growth happens when we come together and share our expertise and our experiences. We want to hear your inspiring stories, the challenges you face, and the lessons you've learned on your entrepreneur journey. Whether you've triumphed over adversity or faced setbacks head on, your story has the power to inspire and empower other women just like you. This platform is for you to showcase your achievements, highlight your expertise, and create meaningful connections within our community. So if you're a fearless woman business owner, unafraid to open up about your path to success, we want you on our show. Go to www.womenchoosinggrowth.com and join our community. From there, you'll be given the chance to fill out the short application. If you believe that you have a story to share, then why not? Once again, it's www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. I can't wait to feature more amazing and talented women in this community. Now, 
back to the show. I would agree as a more financial strategy person to write a book. I say I'm going to, too. Maybe I'm going to have to use AI because there's no way I'm sitting down and writing. <laughs> I actually did. I sat down and wrote. Yeah. That would yeah. be a hurdle for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's interesting. See, and so when I met AJ, who has a daily writing group, I literally went for one hour every day. I tried to show up four mornings a week and I wrote the book in that group. It just gave me like, I needed the like structure, the guardrails around me. And that's, I think, probably a bit of a theme for me is like, how can I provide myself with some structure that will help me be successful? And that is probably the premises around these big goals. Yes. Right. Yeah. So tell me more about when you're in that workshop, when you're working with people, um, like today, tomorrow, next year, when people want to, are struggling or I think everyone should, I, I'm a big goal person. So like if, if it's not written, we can't, we can't achieve it in my opinion. Yeah. So how, how do you help people really make their goals come to life? I think there are a few components of it. And, but I think that, you know, when I talk about not making your goals into to-do lists or even not starting at a smart goal, like the the buzzy kind of people mm-hmm. like smart goals. But I find that if you begin with that sort of a process, what you end up with is something that's quite contained. And so it will be hard to think expansively when you're boxing everything into a small, tidy place. Mm-hmm. It gets safer that way. You know, we like to measure things. And sometimes you can't measure things that you really want to achieve. And so I think it's about, you know, creating some white space in your calendar to really figure out how you're going to dream up the biggest thing that you want. So it starts out as a sort of an unstructured process, but you do need to find time to do it. And so the time piece comes into, you know, what are you going to say no to in order to create this space to set a really big goal? And when you say space, that means a quiet space. The kids aren't around. You're, yeah. You don't have emails in front of you. Like yes. this is thinking time. Yeah. Are you outside? Big, big picture thinking yep. time. Are you outside? Are you in the forest? Are you near water? Uh, I love to do big thinking on airplanes when I can sit by a window and just mm-hmm. look at the clouds and the expansiveness of that. I always love to bring a notebook and just the ideas, you know, jot things down. But it's We are so alike. <laughs> The last flight I had last month, I literally was using some of my notes that I took on that flight on the notes of my iPhone uh, because I was doing some big picture thinking on the way back Mm -hmm. from Dustin. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's how do you unlock that for yourself, right? What is Mm -hmm. it that um, allows you to kind of get acquainted with big thinking? And I think you've got to put energy into doing it. And for me, making it something of a practice, like putting time in my calendar and, you know, honoring the time because it's really easy to be like, oh, I have a hundred emails. No. Right. So it's that. And, and it's surprising how hard it is for us to say no, whether it's to our kids, our colleagues, um, even ourselves and our, you know, squirrely like, no, you set this time aside and this is how you're going to use it. 
And so I think it is making yourself a priority, but in a really specific way. And then I think, you know, when we set these kinds of big goals, often they feel like we're sort of pushing the outer edges of what feels comfortable for us. And so we feel like, you know, there are unknowns that we don't know how to solve necessarily, whether they're knowledge or people, connections or money, those different sorts of places where it can seem very fuzzy and unclear. And so I don't, though, think that that should stop us from setting them. It means that the first steps we take might need to clarify things. It means that as we go forward, we need to figure out how we're going to learn, connect, get the money, those kinds of things. And that could be a process that goes on for quite some time. The other thing that happens when you push the edges of what's comfortable is, you know, the little voice inside your head gets started. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, I think, it's a hard one because we all know it. We all know it's there. So it's figuring out how to manage it. And for me, like when I talk about being stuck on that plateau, one of the things that really helped me was the idea of being a scientist. And so because science is about experimenting, experiments are about failure. And Mm -hmm. so I could be like, oh, I'm going to be a scientist. I'm treating this like an experiment and I'm going to learn whether this will work. And if it won't work, I'm going to dust it up and I'm going to try again. And so it really helped me, right? And it helped me quiet that voice, that pressure that was telling me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do. Okay. Question for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a very goal-oriented person. You are naturally. I didn't know that 10, 15 years ago. What about the people who are listening and shaking their head? Like They just struggle with goal setting for whatever reason. I imagine you've worked with people like this. So what what is your advice for people who are like, I can't, I'm just not a goal setter? I think you have to get to thinking about what you really want or thinking about, you know, what you have wanted that has not happened for you. Because we all also have goals that we sort of leave at the side of the road as we make our way, right? And sometimes being like, why didn't I ever do that? What happened with that? Sometimes it's a, I still actually want that and I should give it another go. Sometimes there's more of a... um, a why, you know, why didn't that happen? And I might not want to go there again, but what is there to learn from, you know, where I'm getting to without setting goals? Mm-hmm. And I think also people are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, write everything down or I don't want to have a super structured process. And I don't think it has to be, I think it can be as structured or as relatively unstructured as you want it to be, but you have to put a stake in the ground somewhere. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what what does that look like for you and what's comfortable? Um, like, is it a few post-it notes on the wall beside your desk? You know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, I'm going to be the best, you know, bullet journal person ever and I'm going to, you know, write 38 pages about goal number one. Uh, no, I think it can be on a few post-it notes even. Uh, I think it's more about actually putting a stake in the ground and giving yourself something to work towards. 
So it can be on the notes of my iPhone. Sure it can. Absolutely. <laughs> You've got to do what works for you because ultimately, if I give you some big expensive system and you don't believe that that is what works for you or it doesn't feel comfortable, then you will not use it. Right. Some people journal and mm -hmm. that's how they put their thoughts down on paper. Yep. And when I said a non-goal driven people, I was probably more so thinking of people who don't stretch themselves because I've met yes. some of those people who are like, well, I can't go there. Yeah. Because well, that's crazy and I'll never yes. be able to do that. But I honestly think, and I believe you're going to agree that it's like, go ahead and throw that out to the universe, write mm -hmm. that down in your like crazy, you know, five-year plan then, because mm -hmm. if it's out there, you've now put it somewhere mm -hmm. in here. You don't have to have the smart of the time and the thing nope. and the whatever and all the details, but you're like, maybe I want to be on stage someday. Yes. Like your friend told you, right? Yeah. Like, oh, somebody mentioned this. I'm going to explore it. I may or may not want it. I'm yeah. going to write it down or yeah. journal it or whatever the method is. So yeah. it's, I've met so many of those people who are afraid to think bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think there is a component. I mean, that's the pushing the boundaries of where your comfort zone is, right? Mm -hmm. So it's where a couple of things, I think big gorgeous goals are like the reverse sales funnel. Like you start setting them and then you have some success and then you can become more expansive and set bigger and bigger goals for yourself that, you know, your comfort zone is not a finite space in your life. So the more you push on the edges, the more you can push them out and push on them again. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that I think is that any good goal, like if getting on the stage is a big goal uh, for you, then what are the building blocks to getting there? You know, yep. what are, what are the, you know, you decide to speak to a high school class about something that you're a subject matter expert in, and then maybe you speak to a small group of other people that are in the same field. And then, you know, it's like building blocks where you're slowly ramping yourself up and stepping onto stages that get progressively larger. And maybe you decide that the biggest stage isn't actually where you want it to be. You get to a place where you feel really like satisfied with what you're doing and that's okay too. Yes. I think that's important that you just mentioned that, that big isn't necessarily the, the top of whatever the mountain or the goal is, right? It, you can be perfectly happy somewhere in between. And I think especially the goal-driven people, myself included, need to stop and think about that. Like what is the comfort zone? Where are you actually happy in that? Yep. Um yeah, I think that was huge what you just said. I think about that as after I sold my business too and I went and did the same industry after. I consulted mm -hmm. for a year, so I had a little bit more time to like not worry. Yep. Then I went and did something in the same industry and went like, oh, uh-uh. <laughs> like, I need something totally different and, you know, yeah. had that business sold in like th after about three years. So very short stint compared to my first one. Yeah. And then found my happy place. So, yeah, it's... um. The thing, the goals that we make and things that we challenge ourselves to, like mm -hmm. even if they didn't turn out in the way that we thought at the beginning, doesn't mm -hmm. mean that they're a failure. They got us to where we are today. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of the sort of calibration and review process that like, you know, on a quarterly basis, I think you should be sitting down 
you know, somewhere in a park, in a coffee shop, in, in your, you know, not at your desk in front of your computer, but with a pen and paper and somewhere that is separate from your day-to-day kind of mundane work in wherever that might be and that you evaluate. So I said, I wanted to be on the big stage. I didn't know how I would get there. Um, I had a gig speaking to, you know, kids at the local high school who are interested in the area that I do work in. How did that go? Okay. Is the goal still the big stage? Hmm. I'm not sure. I'm going to leave it there for now. So what do I think the next step is I need to go for? So it's this place where if you think of a goal like climbing a mountain, if you stand at the bottom of a mountain and you look at the top of it, it looks incredibly big. And so you start climbing and you put your head down and you climb for a couple of hours and you look up and it almost looks like you haven't made any progress. But it's only when you start to look back and do a review that you can actually be like, oh, we've come a fair way and now it's time for us to go again. And so I think goals are sort of the same piece. Like the top of the mountain might be in the clouds a little bit. It might not be perfectly clear and that's okay. Goals are like that. They come into clarity as you make progress towards them. And and the truth is, you know, I say this to people all the time, you never achieve a goal exactly. Like there is never a a lot, you know, if you say you're going to sell a million dollars, you sell 995,000, you sell a million and 10,000, you, you know, you hit it way over or way under, but you never to the, you know, it's never a precision sport. And so I think we have to allow ourselves with these kinds of goals, the ability to have a process to recalibrate them and make sure that we're still on the right path. Love that. Absolutely love what you just said there. That's perfect. Yeah. You know, Um, sometimes you chase something and you're like, what? Why? What was I doing? Why did I like literally me in this? The Yeah. You know, so you can be like, cool, achieved. But really, you didn't actually want that anymore. What's I I think you have to allow yourself that flexibility to to pivot and recalibrate and move in another direction when something doesn't serve you anymore. Yeah. And find the positive in that. So, you know, someone, one could say that I wasted three years of a business that I ended up being like not driven for or an industry not driven for anymore. Mm -hmm. But really that if I wouldn't have done that and like embraced my emotional, like it just doesn't satisfy me as much as I know I could be satisfied. I think it was the huge life lesson and it only took three years. (laughs) <laughs> to figure goodness. that out in that yeah. <laughs> yeah so I could still be in an industry that I that isn't fulfilling me as much as you know advising and working with entrepreneurs is so I I look at all of those sort of crooked goals or mm-hmm. <laughs> that as as stepping stones to the real goals that I'm setting today and still setting for many many moons yeah I think that is so true that, you know, one leads to another and sometimes it's not the right path, but you learn so much by what happens that it's an important part of the journey. I agree. Mm-hmm. Let's, um, let's talk about your podcast that you just started. Mm-hmm. Share I'm, a little bit about um, your audience and, and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. So the audience for me is really seven and eight figure entrepreneurs, women entrepreneurs, um, women identifying entrepreneurs, 
probably six figures as well. People who are, you know, aspiring to get up into, you know, the over a million and over 10 million categories in revenue. And so I started doing a bunch of work, you know, with women's accelerator programs, um, doing some angel investing, learning about the venture capital world. And the stats for women entrepreneurs are fairly abysmal when it comes to getting funding for their businesses. And like 1.9% of venture capital went to women entrepreneurs in 2022. And so Mm. it's like terrible, right? Horrible, yes. Yeah. And we start more businesses than men and don't grow them as big. And so I started having this, you know, I was trying to research some of the stats and even the stats are a little bit like, they're a little hard to find. People are talking about it, but nobody seems that worried. And I started to think about what is it that makes people want to do something? And it's when they see somebody else doing it often, right? We see Mm -hmm. that, we get confident that it's possible and we decide to start on that. Yeah, absolutely. And so I I started to have the idea of, you know, if I could shine the light on on some women that are doing this, uh, how could that help all the people who want to be doing it? Mm-hmm. And so I know that I have a fairly good network of people that I've met over my years as an entrepreneur. And I felt like I could use my kind of skills that I'd built as a coach around, you know, questions and listening and that sort of thing and and put something together. And so we actually just launched it a couple of weeks ago with five episodes. It's called Figure Eight. And I am in conversation with seven and eight figure revenue women entrepreneurs. And I'm actively looking for more all the time um, so that we can shed the light on what are all the different things people are doing and how do they approach it differently. And so I've had some really interesting conversations. Yes, absolutely. So I think our listeners are in that same demographic of looking for that next growth. Like, what do we need to do? So I would recommend your episodes, uh, your your show. Um, You also have a mastermind. I do. I do. So if someone wanted more help on their goal setting or some more clarity, what what happens in that mastermind? We really work on, so no problem is particularly unique. I mean, there might be some unique aspects to it, but I think as, you know, as you grow a business, getting from 750,000 or so up over a million feels hard, right? Like just that jump. And then you feel like you hit the million and you've got it kind of going on. Like you've built some processes, you've hired some people and you can get yourself up to two or 3 million before you hit another wall. And so then there could be a couple of other spots getting to 10 that uh, become difficult. But I sort of was thinking about like the best ways that I have learned and the best ways that I have navigated the problems are by talking to people, my peers, about how to tackle the problems. And, you know, so often someone's like, oh, that happened to me last year and here's how I dealt with it. And although their business might be quite different, there's quite a lot that can be taken from their experience and extrapolated to what I need to do. And so really that's the the 
sort of impetus behind creating a group of women who can meet in a sort of non-competitive and confidential space to work through the problems that they're going through. The other thing I think that happens as you go through the sevens, like when you have that um, founding team, it's often very collaborative and you're problem solving together and everybody's pulling for the company to really grow and for you to start to build something meaningful. But somewhere in the seven figures of revenue, you cross this little bridge that you don't even know is coming <laughs> where you feel like you have to know before you go to the team. You feel like you that leader in you has to change. Mm -hmm. And that's the time when finding a group of people in a confidential setting for a mastermind can really help because you can form up your ideas before you're going back to the team and, and having those conversations. Agree with everything you just said. And it, I was laughing a little bit or smiling because I remember that same, that, that was such a hard period of growing my business, my main business. Anyway, um, I had, I had to get all new staff, a total, I had to change mm -hmm. my leadership style. Like it, it's like you almost enter a whole different realm of what was working before and was really successful. It's like you, you hit this in, like, if I would have known that like, I was going through a door and be like, okay, things are new now, but you don't all of a sudden you're like, oh, things aren't working the way they were. Yes. And things have completely changed and it is a completely invisible door. And I love masterminds. I preach masterminds because that was what made me an uneducated had no idea about business. It was about my fourth or fifth year in the business. And I joined a mastermind with peers. And that is what catapulted yeah. me in my business. Like if you watched my revenue was fine, it was growing. My people were growing. Great service. But after that mastermind and I had accountability, I had a lot more mm -hmm. goal setting, much bigger thinking. It was really the accountability because I don't like to disappoint people. And if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So there was a lot of that where I didn't have any of that before. So mastermind was definitely one of the biggest compliments to my career and my business. So, yeah, uh, that's been my experience as well. It just gives you, it gives you, and it gives you people to like phone up and be like, I had a terrible day. Like, can you just like, can I just cry on your shoulder for a minute? Cause I'll pick myself up off the floor, but I just need someone to be like, yeah. oh my gosh, that was me last month, you know? And cause I mean, let's face it. You can't it, do that to your employees. No, you cannot. You cannot. And, and that is where like entrepreneurship is the loneliest path because yes. even though I had business partners, I had, you know, three other founders in my business, I still felt like we got to a point where I couldn't do it with them anymore, the bouncing around. Like I needed to kind of go away and come as that leader to the table saying, you know, here's the plan, here's the problem, here's my recommendation, you know, and those kinds of pieces became different as the business got bigger. And and so it's, um, it, it if you don't have support around you, it can be so lonely and so hard. I agree. Absolutely. What are your final um, thoughts or suggestions for those who are listening so that they can go set some big, gorgeous goals themselves and achieve them? Don't be afraid. And know that when you start to chase what you really want, you need to 
set some priorities and say some no's. And also that, you know, that voice is going to come in the, you know, the uncertain, the you're not good enough, the, you know, why, why do you really think you can do this voice? Well, it will start up. And so you've got to figure out how you're going to kind of keep that under control so that you can keep pushing forward and keep believing in yourself and putting a great group of people around you is the, one of the best ways to do it. Great place to end there. Thank you so much, Julie. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please be sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. The Woman Choosing Growth Show is not just another podcast. It's a tribe of women helping each other grow. So please share this podcast with all the women entrepreneurs that you would love to see succeed. If you'd like to know more about customized business advising through Cultivate Advisors, download business tools, or sign up for upcoming events, visit www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. Once again, that's www.womenchoosinggrowth.com. Remember, we are in this together. See you on the next one.